For over 125 years, the USGA has been a champion for women's golf. And for the first time in its 76-year history, the U.S. Women's Open will be held at the iconic Olympic Club in San Francisco. With 72 holes over four days, 156 athletes from around the world will test their patience, determination, and skill as they compete for life-changing stakes. Tune in on June 3rd through 6th to watch history unfold and find out who will join the legendary champions as the greatest in the game. Jordan, Ali, Ruth. The immortals of sport need only one name, but there's actually another athlete nicknamed Babe who may have wowed those who saw her in action even more. Yet for some reason, she doesn't get talked about nearly as much. After all, what makes a great athlete? Is it someone who dominates their sport? Or is it someone who can excel at any athletic endeavor? Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias was both of those things. In fact, she was the best at virtually everything she tried. Emphasis on everything. Long before Nike's famed Bo Nose ad campaign around Bo Jackson, Babe Diedrichsen actually knew how to do it all. And when she eventually settled on golf, she became one of the game's all-time great champions while helping to pioneer the modern LPGA. Here's how Don Van Natta Jr., whose 2011 book Wonder Girl remains the seminal work on this almost mythical figure, sums up Babe's unmatched versatility. That's the thing about Babe that's so extraordinary, is that she, uh, every sport she played, she not only excelled at, she was at the very top of the game. I mean, you know, now we revere two sport athletes, right? The Deion Sanders, the Bo right. Jacksons, the, you know, even Michael Jordan, when he right. went and tried to play baseball, you know, we romanticize the two sport athletes. Babe was an all sport athlete. So who was Babe Diedrichsen Saharius? And was she really as great as her legend suggests? And if so, why isn't she celebrated more? I'm Alex Myers, and this is Local Knowledge, where we take a deep dive into some of golf's most compelling stories. On this episode, we'll examine the incredible life of Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias, how she emerged from obscurity to become one of sport's first female celebrities before making her biggest impact on women's golf. We'll speak with Venata to understand what set Zaharias apart and the incredible challenges she experienced in her career. Van Natta, an ESPN investigative reporter and a member of three Pulitzer Prize-winning teams, gives credit to USGA historian Rand Jarris for pushing him to write a biography on Babe, which began what he describes as a seven-year passion project. But you don't need to be a historian to recognize how special Babe's career was. And with the 2021 U.S. Women's Open being played this week, it gives us an opportunity to look back at the woman who turned in that events and one of golf's all-time most awe-inspiring wins. Like Diedrichsen Zaharias in her day, the best women golfers in the world won't just be competing against each other when they tee it up at the Olympic Club. They'll be fighting for the attention of the general public. And the fact that someone like Babe could dazzle and still be largely forgotten speaks to the uphill battle women athletes faced then and continue to face today. But the current crop of women golfers should be particularly thankful for Babe taking on that challenge long before they were born. In addition to being a strong role model, not to mention building a resume that boasts a staggering 82 pro and amateur victories, including 10 majors, Babe literally paved the way for today's players by helping found the LPGA Tour. As we'll discuss, Babe may have taken more time than she would have liked to become a great golfer, but she certainly finished as one. She had Jack's power, Hogan's work ethic, Tiger's competitiveness, 
and Arnie's charm. In other words, she was the complete package. And even though she died 55 years before Wonder Girl was published, you can tell she holds a special spot in her biographer's heart. Well, look, the, the hope when I wrote the book was to bring her story to a new generation of young readers, in particular, who knew nothing about her. And I, and I think it succeeded somewhat. But really, the hope is that maybe someday Wonder Girl can be turned into a, either a major motion picture or a limited series for like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime, because that would really bring Babe's story to a much wider audience. Mildred Ella Diedrichsen was born June 26, 1911 in Port Arthur, Texas. The daughter of Norwegian immigrants, she was nicknamed Babe by her mom as the sixth of the family's seven children. The name was not in honor of Babe Ruth, as Diedrichsen later claimed, but she quickly grew a reputation for being able to hit and throw like the New York Yankees Hall of Famer. Unlike Ruth, though, Diedrichsen would wind up making a name for herself in multiple sports. She had special athletic gifts, and she knew it from a young age. One of the great things about Babe Diedrichsen is she had the brash self-confidence of a Muhammad Ali before Muhammad Ali. Mm. You know, she declared, I'm going to be the greatest. Even as a little girl growing up, as you said, on the wrong side of the tracks in Beaumont, Texas, she said, someday I am going to be the greatest athlete of all time. Now, she didn't say the greatest woman athlete of all time. <laughs> she said the greatest athlete of all time. Right. She didn't look at, uh, at, at her gender as a, a barrier to her success, which is really extraordinary when you think about that at the time she grew up. You know, this is yeah. born in 1911. These are the 1920s when she started aspiring to be a great athlete. You could argue her lofty claim of becoming the greatest athlete eventually came true. When the Associated Press and ESPN released their rankings of the 100 greatest athletes of the century in 2000, Diedrichsen made the top 10 of both, a few slots below the other babe. Here's how Dan Patrick introduced her on the accompanying ESPN Sports Century documentary. She made DiMaggio swing and miss and outplayed Sarazen. She excelled at basketball, bowling, billiards, tennis, softball, diving, archery, golf, and five Olympic events. Babe Diedrichsen gave birth to the modern woman athlete. Babe claimed she inherited her athletic genes from her mother, Hannah, who never played any sports, unless you count chasing around a daughter who developed a bit of a reputation as a troublemaker in the neighborhood. Van Natta reports that when Babe was 12, a freshman football player dared her to punch him, and she knocked him to the floor. Babe was always drawn to any sort of competition as a kid, from foot races to marbles. She would bound over the neighbor's hedges on her way to the grocery store and seemed to fit in better with the boys, who provided more of an athletic challenge. But she first drew real attention by playing for the Beaumont High girls basketball team. Oddly enough, Babe actually began her career in sports by taking a job as a secretary. Back then, the Amateur Athletic Union, or AAU, was a big deal, and women competed for company teams even if their compensation officially came through their 9-to-5 jobs. In Babe's case, she dropped out of high school and began working at Employers Casualty Insurance in Dallas after being noticed for her play and her toughness on the court. She got paid $75 per month, big money during the Depression era, to work in an office while being a standout for the company's basketball team, the Golden Cyclones. A guy named Colonel McCombs uh, actually ran the basketball team. He ran all the sports teams at Employers Casualty. He recruited Babe um, as she was playing high school basketball and hired her, as you said, 
a secretary, but really a ringer, right? I mean, right. her job wasn't as a secretary. It was to be the star of the employer's casualty insurance basketball team. And AAU women's basketball in the early 1930s was incredibly popular. It was big business. It, it drew 5,000 fans to gymnasiums to watch women play basketball. Right. And Babe was a star there. Uh, she won the AAU championship as a basketball player. And then while she was at employer's casualty, she started getting interested in track and field. And that was the next great chapter um, in her journey, in her all-sport journey. When Babe convinced McCombs to start a company track and field team as well, he went along in part because it would keep his basketball players in shape during the offseason. But it was this new pursuit that opened up Diedrichsen's path to true stardom. After Babe had established herself as the standout athlete, McCombs had a crazy idea to send her to the 1932 AAU National Team Championship on her own. Right. So Colonel McCombs was also a very smart entrepreneur. He knew that if he sent one woman to compete in Chicago uh, for the amateur track and field championship, that alone would get a bunch of headlines because there were teams of 14, 18, 22 women competing in Chicago uh, for this title. He felt Babe was so good at so many track and field events that she could beat those teams of you know a dozen, two dozen women all by herself. And she did. An extraordinary afternoon, she won five events and single-handedly won the, the national title in track and field, qualifying for the Olympic team as well. Uh, and it really put her on the map as an incredible athlete, huge headlines, you know, the Grantland Rices of the world. Uh, it, it got their attention uh, and, uh, and, she was, and she was off and running uh, to the Olympics in L.A. that year, 1932. Babe's accomplishment that day is still considered by many to be the greatest track and field performance ever. Can you imagine the craze on Twitter today if something like that happened? One woman beating every other team? Being the best in six different events that require that wide a variety of skill sets? It's almost unimaginable. At the 1932 Olympics, Diedrichsen was only allowed to compete in three events. But boy, did she make them count. Babe had to settle for silver in the high jump when the judges controversially ruled her final attempt was illegal, but she claimed gold medals in both the 80-meter hurdles and javelin, and set world or Olympic records in all three events. She also remains the only athlete, male or female, to win individual medals in a running, jumping, and throwing event. Take that, Bo Jackson. Babe Didrikson of Dallas, Texas, flings the spear 143 feet, four inches for a new record. Babe's track and field accomplishments are the stuff of legend, and certainly enough to warrant a Hollywood script. And that was even before she turned her attention to golf. Golf had been a small part of Babe's athletic background, having played on the Beaumont High School team. Like with track and field, she liked the individualistic nature of the game, but her experience and skills were still raw when legendary sports writer Grantland Rice invited her to play around with him the day after the 1932 Olympics ended. Despite having never seen her hit a single shot, Rice had told his peers he believed she could dominate the sport. That belief was only strengthened after Babe impressed her male opponents with her power off the tee that round at Brentwood Country Club. With limited opportunities in sports elsewhere for the 21-year-old Olympic champ, Babe decided to follow Rice's suggestion to channel her seemingly limitless energy and talent toward golf. Little did either know how long it would take for her to truly break into the game. With 72 holes over the course of four days, the U.S. Women's Open will separate the good from the great and the great from the legendary. With life-changing stakes, this historic championship plays for keeps, 
It delivers stunning comebacks and devastating defeats in hopes that one athlete will achieve her dream of becoming the greatest in the game. Watch the U.S. Women's Open live from the historic Olympic Club on June 3rd through 6th. It was the summer of 1932, and Babe Diedrichsen had decided she wanted to have a career in golf. There was just one big problem. Women at the time had no path to a golf career. There was no professional circuit, and it would be years before women would even begin to be hired as teaching pros. She joined a Jewish barnstorming baseball team called the House of David. She appeared in some Major League Baseball spring training games, pitching to the likes of Joe DiMaggio. She did a billiards exhibition and joined a bowling league. None of it was as glamorous as winning gold medals for your country, but these side gigs were helping pay the bills. And when Diedrichsen needed more income, she would return to her job at Employer's Casualty. Oh yeah, she even dabbled in singing and playing the harmonica. Here's a cut from a song she recorded called I felt a little teardrop. Hey, we said she was versatile. She was world famous, um, but had nowhere to play. Uh, so, you know, as you say, just a few months later, she's on the vaudeville stage, uh, in Chicago at the palace theater, you know, singing, playing the harmonica, you know, she, she was, you know, a sideshow act basically right. it was the only way she could make any money because there were so few opportunities to play. She played in a billiards competition. Uh, as you point out, she played some, uh, exhibition baseball and some softball, but these were all things that just hustle some money, um, and to try to cash in on her fame, but there were so few opportunities opportunities to do that. And it really wasn't, as you say, many years later until she finally took up golf uh, and had the means to do it. In addition to being challenged by limited playing opportunities, Babe's newfound fame had created opposition for many who felt she shouldn't be playing at all. She was actually derided by some of the public and the press because of her athletic prowess. One writer in particular, Paul Gallico, repeatedly referred to her as a boy or a muscle mall and even suggested Babe only turned to sport, quote, simply because she would not or could not compete with women at their own best game, man-snatching. Yes, he actually wrote that. Babe had her sexuality questioned often as well. As Van Natter writes, Gallico mentioned Babe as the leader of a breed of, quote, women who made possible deliciously frank and biological discussions in the newspapers as to whether this or that woman athlete should be addressed as Miss, Mrs., Mr., or It, end quote. But Babe persevered through the rampant sexism surrounding her. She was tough. She had to be. And she fought hard to earn acclaim and advance her career. Dating back to her days playing basketball for employers casually, Babe made a habit of writing her hometown newspaper sports columnist after every game so he could share the news with the people back home. She even once concocted a scheme to try to squeeze more money out of her employer that never came to fruition. Being a woman in the 1930s, though, there was only so much she could do. The only place Diedrichsen could play golf was the amateur circuit, but she was met with resistance there as well. After winning the Texas State Amateur in 1935, the USGA ruled she was ineligible due to having been a pro in other sports. It was the beginning of a near decade-long struggle with golf's governing body. In the meantime, Babe worked tirelessly to improve as a golfer. Whereas other sports came naturally to her, she drew comparisons to Ben Hogan for how she routinely hit balls until her hands bled. Without any tournaments on the horizon, Babe did exhibitions with the biggest names of the day, like Hogan, Byron Nelson, Sam Snead, and Gene Sarazen. 
She did charity events with celebrities like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, and even toured with Sarazen and tried to learn as much about the game as possible from the seven-time major champ. The Squire even gave Babe a sandwich that proved to be an important weapon for her on the course. As with other sports, Babe wasn't afraid to take on the men, making her PGA Tour debut at the 1938 LA Open. Babe missed the cut, but the event proved to be a pivotal moment when she played the first two rounds with a professional wrestler named George Zaharias. The two were married later that year, and Babe surprised observers by swiftly taking to domestic life. Many wondered if she was posing for photos in her kitchen to change her image, but Van Natta writes she seemed to truly enjoy her new role as a wife. Plus, with her amateur golf band, she had more time on her hands. The marriage proved to be complicated, especially with George signing on to be his wife's manager. Van Natta reports his explosive behavior crossed into physical abuse, and there were rumors of Babe having a relationship with female golfer Betty Dodd. George and Babe stayed together, however, and he remained a staunch supporter of his wife's career. But Babe's biggest and best promoter was always herself. She was extremely smart at marketing and branding. Uh, you know, long before Arnold Palmer uh, or Muhammad Ali um, really figured out how to brand themselves and market themselves and also get sponsorships. I mean, Arnold Palmer is really, you know, the pioneer of that, as we all know, but Babe was doing it even before Palmer. Finally reinstated by the USGA in 1943, Babe returned and immediately began winning golf tournaments. After conquering the competition in her home country, she set her eyes on achieving another first by traveling to Scotland to play in the 1947 British Women's Amateur. You can guess what happened next. Babe Dittrickson Zaharis, winner of the British Women's Amateur Golf Crown. I must say that I've just completed the greatest thrill of my life, and that was going over to England and Scotland and win the British Amateur Championship. It has never been won by an American woman, and I'm the first one. Babe's modest background already made it tougher to break into golf's exclusive circles and her brash nature didn't help among her peers either. She had an enormous ego. She was pr probably a megalomaniac. Uh, and as I said earlier, like Ali, she would tell people I'm the greatest, but she would tell her competitors. She would show up before a golf tournament and go into the ladies' locker room and say, okay, the babe's here, who's finishing second? Right. And she got under the skin and on the nerves of the women she competed against. She was very effective at that. And she did it on purpose. You know, part of it was she did feel she was the best and right. she was good enough to back it up. But she also knew that she was playing a mind game. And as you know, in golf, you know, <laughs> if somebody steps on your nerves just a little bit and you right. can't handle it, your game can blow up pretty quickly. And a lot of the women competitors did not like Babe. She got under their skin and, uh, and, and she used it quite effectively in winning a lot of tournaments. And when he says a lot of tournaments, he means a lot of tournaments. At one point, Babe won 14 amateur events in a row. And she even became the first and only woman to make the cut in a PGA Tour event, a feat she pulled off three times in 1945. Although she wanted to play in the US Open, the USGA denied her application and even went so far to create a new rule specifically prohibiting women from entering the event. With attention building and offers starting to pour in, Babe decided to officially turn pro in 1947. The next challenge was to find a full-time place for her to play. With the help of her husband George and PGA promotional director Fred Corcoran, she joined a group of women who started the Ladies Professional Golf Association in 1950. In all, there were 13 founding members, but make no mistake about it, Babe was the centerpiece. Really, the, the LPGA was built for Babe. Uh, the first several years, Babe was the draw. Um, she was 
by just the force of her personality and the fact that she was so good and she won so many of the tournaments. Um, people came out to see her uh, those those first few years. And uh, yeah, I mean, the LPGA really wouldn't have happened, I, I don't think, at least not in 1950 when it was when it was founded, if it wasn't for Babe Diedrichson. Right from the start, Babe dominated the LPGA, winning a combined 17 events the first two years and easily being the tour's top earner. She had more money than she could have ever imagined when growing up poor in Beaumont. She was making the headlines she craved again. And then she encountered her biggest hurdle yet. Babe Diedrichson Zaharias was enjoying the type of success few golfers had ever achieved. After winning the Associated Press Female Athlete of the Year for the first time as an Olympian in 1932, she won the title four more times as a golfer from 1945 to 1950. But after a hernia surgery cost her time in 1952, Babe started to feel lethargic toward the end of that year and began cutting back her schedule. Then, after winning the inaugural Babe Zaharias Open in Beaumont in April of 1953, she returned to the doctor was told to see a specialist in Fort Worth. And that's when she got the worst news possible, cancer. Abe, though, when she got the cancer diagnosis, she was told, you're never going to play golf again. And, and she believed it for a while. Um, you know, she actually tried to give her golf clubs away. Uh, that's how despondent she was. But Babe decided she wasn't through with golf. Although forced to wear a colostomy bag and sapped of some of her famous power off the tee, she somehow returned to limited fashion to the LPGA just four months after surgery. The following January, she won an LPGA event, then was invited to the White House by President Eisenhower to kick off a cancer crusade. But her heroics were just beginning because what happened at the 1954 U.S. Women's Open that July almost defies description. The author of the greatest track and field feat ever came back two decades later to pull off arguably the most impressive victory in golf history. Just 15 months after undergoing surgery for cancer, Diedrichsen went wire to wire at Salem Country Club, overcoming that colostomy bag strapped to her side and a grueling 36-hole final day to win by an astonishing 12 shots. Mrs. Zaharias has the crown wrapped up. Just 18 months ago, she underwent an operation for cancer. Everyone said her career was over, but here she is winning by a mile, a margin of 12 strokes with a score of 291, one of the most inspiring comebacks in all sports history. An all-time blowout, an all-time comeback. It would be like if you combine Tiger Woods' 2000 US Open and 2019 Masters wins into one. And this time, Babe sounded more grateful and humbler than ever before. I don't like to keep uh, bringing up this uh, hospital deal of mine, uh, but uh, I was laying there in room 201 at the Hotel Du Hospital, and uh, these reports were going out about that I never play championship or tournament golf again. And uh, I laid in the bed and I says, please God, let me play again. And he answered my prayer. And I want to thank God for letting me win again. It's really wonderful. That victory speech revealed a softer side of a golfer who had gained new perspective in the face of cancer. More importantly, she used her platform to spread the word about the disease and to raise money for research. That seems like an obvious decision now, but back then it was rare. As Venata notes, when Babe Ruth died in 1947, his cancer wasn't even disclosed in many newspaper accounts. Babe had always been admired 
But now she was beloved by peers and the general public like never before. She really changed her public persona. I mean, you know, she was a brash, tough-talking Texan who got <laughs> under people's skin. Uh, she was a favorite with the audience and the galleries because of that. Um, but after her diagnosis, um, she really looked at herself as a role model for anybody who had cancer, who could live with it, who could try to beat the disease, um, and succeed and excel. And, uh, and so she was a, she was a, you know, a, a beloved spokeswoman, um, for, uh, cancer research, uh, and, uh, and for living with cancer and, and was a great role model, got thousands of letters and postcards and cards from well-wishers. Um, her story was really extraordinary, her comeback. Sadly, the comeback didn't last long. Although she won the AP's Female Athlete of the Year for a sixth and final time in 1954, Babe's cancer had spread. And not even one of the strongest and strongest-willed athletes ever could beat it this time. On September 27, 1956, Babe died at age 45. Just five months prior, she won the last LPGA event she ever played in. Van Natta describes Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias as one of the most forgotten American superstars. But those who crossed paths with her never forgot it. No one has covered more of the game's all-time greats than Dan Jenkins. And yet when the legendary sports writer listed some of the icons he'd played golf with during his World Golf Hall of Fame speech in 2012, from Hogan to Palmer to Nicholas, he singled out Babe. I played with Babe in 1951 at Rivercrest Country Club in Fort Worth in the old Texas Women's Open. I had the, I was playing on the teacher golf team at the time, but I was also working for the Fort Worth Press. And I went over to Babe when I found her chipping and putting around the putting green. I said, uh, are you gonna play a practice round? And she just kind of looked at me. She knew me from a couple of years earlier. And uh, I said, if you're gonna play a practice round, I wanna play, on, play along with you. And she said, how much you got in your pocket? <laughs> Not only out hit me, she shot 71, beat me out of $8. And, uh, but she wouldn't take the money. She said, I don't mind robbing a college kid, but I can't rob, rob a newspaper guy. We need you people. So why doesn't a larger audience know her story? Start with the unfortunate reality that she was a woman. Even now, 65 years after her death, female athletes are still fighting for respect. Just look at the situation during this year's NCAA basketball tournament when the embarrassing discrepancy between the men's and women's fitness centers was exposed. But back when Babe played, it was another world. Forget about women in sports being treated equally. Many people didn't even think they should be playing at all. This was decades before Title IX, and even the Olympics had been extremely slow with incorporating women. And after Diedrichsen was given that unfortunate description of Muscle Mall, high schools around the country posted signs outside female locker rooms warning, don't be a Muscle Mall. Imagine that today in response to Serena Williams. Sadly, Babe's timing was off. But it's also thanks to her precedent that female athletes of today, like Serena and Alex Morgan and Michelle Wee, have become so popular and at least better compensated. Female pioneers like Babe are also a big part of why fans will be able to watch 25 hours of live golf from this year's U.S. Women's Open. It's not quite the wall-to-wall -wall coverage the men get, but it's getting there. And it certainly would have been enough time for Babe to put on a show. I believe, look, if Babe were alive today, you know, she would have the biggest sneaker contract. She would be 
anybody who can play that many sports at the success level that she achieved is going to be a, ma a major world superstar. Right. Um, but because of the attitudes back then, um, questions about babes, uh, gender, her sexuality, you know, was Georgia Harris, was the marriage a, a real marriage? There were right. whispers about that. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of the prejudice that, uh, that was around, um, women's sports at the time, Babe suffered for a lot of that. And, uh, and yet despite all that still, um, through just the force of her will and also her personality, I mean, she was a great showwoman yeah. and really knew how to play to the galleries, crack jokes, have fun. And, uh, and, and I think that really worked uh, to her favor. Of course, recency bias plays a role in Diedrichsen's diminished place in the sports pantheon as well. Even a male multi-sports star like Jim Thorpe largely goes undiscussed these days because it was so long ago. Van Natta's wish for Hollywood to option Wonder Girl would definitely help. Although Babe's life has been portrayed on screen before, most notably a 1975 TV movie that earned Emily Clark an Emmy for playing her, there's plenty room for more on this larger-than-life heroine. Well larger than life to those familiar with her, that is. In the epilogue of Wonder Girl, Van Natta describes going to the Babe Diedrichsen Zaharis Museum in Beaumont, and he's surprised to be the only visitor in the small building filled with mementos from her tragically shortened but illustrious career in life. The lone woman working there informs him there are days when no one comes, but that those who do stop by always leave happy and amazed. And how could they not? Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias may not get the attention today that she deserves, but her story clearly has the ability to fascinate and motivate people of any era. The hope is that, you know, young women in particular and girls, uh, you know, I dedicated the book to my two daughters. I have, uh, who are now in college, but at the time they were uh, just, you know, 10 and eight years old when the book was published. And uh, and it really, I wrote it in part for them too. I wanted them to know that there was this great woman, uh, so inspirational and, uh, and such a trailblazer in so many ways, knocking down doors uh, named Babe Diedrichson. And as a father of two young daughters myself, I'm going to make darn sure my girls know that name as well. Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Wyman. Special thanks to our guest, Don Van Natta Jr. Our music for today's episode is called Traveling Horse, and it's by Lobo Loco. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast, Be Right. Thank you.